0: Radio studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show.
1: The idea that I'm going to say, which I would never do, that if an unaccompanied child ends up at the border, we're just going to let him starve to death and stay on the other side. No previous administration is dead either, except Trump. I'm not going to do it. I make no apologies for ending programs that did not exist before trump became president that have an incredibly negative impact on the law international law as well as on human dignity so that was an interesting
2: moment in biden's press conference yesterday that we hadn't uh, gotten to yet he said we're not going to let people starve on the other side having said earlier don't come the problem being, if you make it clear, look, I'm, we're not gonna let you starve. We're gonna, we're gonna take care of you. Once you've, you've made it clear, we're gonna take care of you, you're gonna continue to have thousands and thousands and thousands of people coming toward the border. The Trump version of, you better stay there because we're not taking care of you. We're not letting you in. You're out of luck. You get to the border and it's the middle of summer and there's no water. I don't know. Ask the Mexicans because we're not gonna help you. That kept people away. Sending the message that yeah, we're not going to let people die in the desert, which is a very compassionate thing to say, but as soon as you say that, you got a, two million people at the border. Um, I don't know. Gary Dietrich is a nonpartisan political analyst. We're going to talk to him about a whole bunch of different things, but just in general, Gary, and welcome to the Armstrong and Getty Show. How you doing?
0: Hey, I'm doing good, man. And By the way, I did catch enough of the last hour to know that my assignment this weekend is to push up tests, and I will report back. I will report back you, because I'm sure from here, I'm sure from here on out, all guests must pass the 11 push-up <laughs> threshold, or they're not going to be on air. That's probably how it's going to go. Do you
2: think you can do 11 in a row?
0: I hate to say this, but I think relatively easily.
2: Well, why do you hate to say that?
0: Does well, it you know, make me that, feel don't bad that I struggled.
2: I struggled to do 11. You think it make it yeah, that makes me feel bad?
0: No, no. Listen, Sean said you were doing perfect form, so I'm oh, yeah. going to have to have an observer, no doubt.
3: No, I'm I'm a stickler about push-up form. Oh, I really am. My high school gym teacher would have loved the way you'd knock no, those out. No, no, that's that's
2: from my wrestling coach in high school. Yeah, yeah. You're not yeah, getting away with sense. Any, any sloppy push-ups. But I did my 11, and the the new the, the the new data out, at least from this study, is if you can do 11, the likelihood of heart disease goes down by two thirds from if you can do 10. So, that one extra push up in a row really makes a difference. So, I cranked out 11. Uh, and That's
0: why I don't care if it takes me 35 minutes. I'm going to get the 11th one out. <laughs> I guarantee you that.
2: So, before we get to some of the other stuff, uh, I assume you took in the Biden press conference. Do you just have any overarching thoughts on it?
0: Yeah, you know, Jack, I I thought he, you know, acquitted himself fairly well. You know, he's, he got through most everything okay. But I, the three big takeaways for me were, I think, kind of easy standouts. One was, when the when the pointed question kept coming, 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 when is the press going to have access to the border facilities saying, I don't know. I don't think I've ever heard that in a no. presidential press conference. No, that's um, amazing. I, I thought that was odd, actually, you know, because they, they really did press on. And, and that is an issue that is not going to go away. Secondly, you know, the, the Berlin Wall cracking as it is on protecting the filibuster. I, I thought... The president tipped his hand yesterday, basically almost a political threat. Look, at if you block all this stuff, voting rights, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, there are going to be major changes to filibuster. That was a big deal. And the third one to me, which may have you know slipped by some people, but I'm really big on foreign policy stuff, particularly when it comes to the presidency, was he spent a tremendous amount of time laying out his three criteria for China, et cetera. But then when asked, do you agree, you know, when Obama told Trump when he, Trump came into office that North Korea – Right, the biggest foreign policy threat, and he said yes. Yeah, I thought that was
2: weird, too. You just laid out that the future of the world is a battle between democracy and uh, autocracy, and, you know, which side is going to win, and this, that. I liked his stuff on China. I thought it was actually pretty good. But then he said, yeah, the biggest foreign policy threat is North Korea. What?
0: Yeah, and then proceeded to, you know, uh, you know, I, I don't... Okay, people. people, other people have used note cards. Trump did. I mean, I don't want to get off on that too much, but the point of the matter is the point of the matter is that North Korea, you know, he he read several brief statements. We're going to rely on our allies, and we're going to, you know, take measures. We definitely will respond if there's any other provocations. That was it. And I just thought, you know, I don't think there's many people, even in your own administration, including, you know, a prominent admiral this last week who said, China is it. I mean, anybody who thinks that even Russia's our biggest foreign policy
2: concern right now, uh, that's not it. Right. Yeah. And, um, I I get that the whole reading off notes thing might be overblown a little bit, but uh, until I saw Brit human Fox pointed out, do you remember Biden when he was chair of the foreign relations committee and he used to be on meet the press every Sunday, that guy knew every hot spot in the world and every aspect of every issue. That guy wasn't the guy up there yesterday.
0: Well, two quick thoughts about that, Jack. One is, you know, people do need to remember, I I tell you, you know, (laughs) as many different subjects as I studied at a place like the Kennedy School, I can't imagine as a president having to get up there and be able to answer questions on anything. That is not easy to do. When you're chairing a committee, that's your bailiwick. But the other thing was, to me, the one one thing the note card thing did pop out to me, Jack, was the juxtaposition between that and saying my full expectation is I'm going to run in four years. So I thought, wow, you know, uh, man, I mean, you're going to be 81 when you run, 82 when you – I mean, I'm just saying, you know, look at how they're treating Diane Feinstein now. I mean, I, I, I just – it made me a little uncomfortable, you know, to see his reliance on some of those note cards compared to the past and then thinking to him – thinking about him running again in four years for another four years i don't think he's going
2: going to he couldn't i don't think he's going to necessarily he couldn't say no though or you're immediately a lame duck so i mean what what are his options um gary dietrich non-partisan a nonpartisan political analyst and his twitter follow is at gary dietrich so you're an expert in all kinds of things politics particularly california politics where they are recalling the governor it looks like that you agree i assume that that election will happen
0: Oh, yeah, Jack. I mean, even the governor's own people at this point, they officially till April 29th. That's when the 58 county registrars have to uh, validate the signatures and the secretary will add them up. But everybody now assumes they turned turned in two point one. They need less than one point five million. I think it's going to happen.
2: I've been saying up until this point, I think he's going to survive it. Just, you know, the poll numbers where they are now. And I assume that as the pandemic starts to fade, he'll people will forget a lot of that stuff but we now have a billionaire that might be throwing his hat in the ring
0: yeah well i think a couple of really important things happened this week i mean uh tom steyer people remember that name because oh i don't know he ran for president last last time around you know and he was the guy by the way people may remember this he funded millions and millions of dollars of ads promoting impeachment long before all right you know the 2000 election so this guy has money to throw around politically he is a billionaire He could self-finance a campaign easily in the recall. And, you know, he this week commissioned a poll about do you want the governor thrown out or not, and then listed a bunch of Democrats as potential alternatives in the poll. His name was on that list. So there's a lot of people that have said, you know, that Steyer is clearly testing the waters. And then none other than Willie Brown, who people even nationally may know, was a self-described ayatollah of the legislature, the biggest political in California modern history, has come out and said, I think we definitely need a Democrat as an alternative on the list okay. of potential replacements. So those two those two things indicated to me, Jack, this thing is serious. And if a Democratic name, especially one that can generate a lot of noise with some serious money behind him, gets into this thing, that really is a game changer uh, ca- California-wise. And I think nationally for where this re-election or this recall, excuse me, goes.
2: You know, what's working against Gavin Newsom is that he's way more of a dope than a lot of people realized. <laughs> I think that's what he's got working against him. I know you probably can't can you comment on that.
0: Push-ups? I don't know if he can do 11 push-ups or not, but no. we'll have to ask him that at the next press conference.
2: As a nonpartisan political analyst, you probably don't want to weigh in on how dopey he is, but um, he's taken it from all sides. And then there was a, well, I know you won't want to get into the, is he having an affair story that broke in some publication yesterday? But that you're way too dignified for that sort of conversation. Does this mean anything for the rest of the country if uh, the biggest state's governor goes down, or is it just fodder for Californians?
0: No, I think it's huge. I mean, look, along with, well, I mean, Mario Cuomo was hanging on by his fingernails, okay? And once this attorney general uh, investigation comes out back there in New York, I think it's going to be, if it if it's like what, people pretty much expect at this point, I think him hanging on to his office and certainly getting reelected becomes exceedingly problematic here in California. I mean, look, the problem is going to be, you know, what does Gavin Newsom? I mean, he, people fashioned those two guys as two of the likely future leaders right. of the party nationally. Right. And how damaged how damaged does Newsom become even if he survives the recall? I think that's going to be the big question. Oh, I
2: think he's over. I think the whole. Uh, I used to think, man, if I could buy stock in somebody that might be president, Gavin Newsom's where I'd put my money. Now I think there's there's no chance. I think I think he even will realize now. Nah, I'm back into the private sector. My time is over.
0: Well, he's got a bunch of wineries he can ha- hang out at, so you know that's not a bad deal, I guess.
2: Um, back to the national scene briefly. How big a deal would it be to end the filibuster and Democrats can move stuff through on 50 votes? Is it, is it the earthquake that some people make it out to be?
0: I think it's bigger than, for sure, certainly bigger than the average person realizes, Jack. I mean, there, there is, there's a reason why that has been a central focus of congressional debate for every recent president. Because it is the nuclear option. Remember, that's what they actually termed it. It is the nuclear option. And all all you have to do is look at what just happened, where you could get 51 votes to put together a $2 trillion package and pass it. There's talk about that happening with the new $3 trillion infrastructure package. And then you start going down a whole bunch of things, you know, gun rights and, and, uh, you know, voting, um, significant changes or protections, some would say, but depending on your perspective, in voting. I think it's huge, Jack, and it really would change the dynamics of policymaking in our Congress substantially and notably, I mean, you just have you can only imagine the chaos, Jack, if the Republicans do t- retake control of the Senate oh, this yeah. year and it goes to 50 Oh my just God! Imagine what happens then.
2: Yeah, that's that. <laughs> oh my God, right? Um, and re- you got to remember that the President Trump was pushing Mitch McConnell to do this when the Republicans had the votes to pull this off, and he didn't. He held firm. Um, right. But you know, we've gotten there little by little, drip by drab. Uh, to where this could actually happen. It's amazing how important one senator in Georgia has ma- has turned out to be, isn't it? How many trillions of dollars wouldn't have been spent, or maybe the filibuster being blown up if they could have won one of those races? It's just incredible, the twists and turns of history.
0: I told people that those two special elections in Georgia, Jack, were going to be the determinant factors certainly in this Congress, and maybe for many Congresses to come. I think a lot of people still hung over from New Year's Eve, and it didn't realize that first week of January how big that was.
2: Right. No kidding. And it'll be lost to history, I think, that that's what turned all of this. But, wow, what a huge deal. Um, You want people to follow your Twitter, at Gary Dietrich? Is that what you prefer?
0: Yeah, that's the way to go. And, uh, you know, there's going to be so much going on this year, it's going to be pretty wild.
2: Are you surprised, one final question, are you surprised how quickly the gun debate went away? I got all prepared and read up on my Second Amendment stuff and got ready again, thinking, hey, we got a week or so to talk about this. It lasted like 24 hours.
0: Well, sadly, Jack, I mean, I I do really mean this. Sadly, whenever these tragedies happen in our country, it seems like, in the last decade or two, the same cycle happens. Lots of foment, lots of conversation, lots of anger for about a week. And then it just seems to go away. Uh, One would hope, one would hope that at some juncture, there is going to be capacity for both sides to sit down and work out something where people feel like we're moving in a direction uh, somehow. And I know some of these problems seem absolutely intractable, but, but I hate to see people get stirred up angry and then that's. It seems to me that anger just gets buried.
2: Well, right. And what you just said at some point, someday, you'd think people on both sides could sit down and you can fill in gun stuff, you can fill in immigration stuff, you can fill in health care stuff. When will we ever deal with these things? I don't know. Gary Dietrich, at Gary Dietrich, um, is his Twitter handle. Thanks, Gary. Appreciate your time today.
0: Okay, Jack. Have a great weekend.
2: Um, we got more on a whole bunch of other things that we'll get to. Are they turning the house into a safe room? There's a wristwatch, if you're a big Star Wars fan, that you can buy for $150,000. You just got to have it. Oh, it'll be so cool to have. That and other stuff on the way.
0: Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show.
4: My things just bombed very badly. (laughs) I remember one of them that bombed so hard. I'd written something for Britney Spears. One of them was, we're going to shrink Will Ferrell down to just hang out inside of her belly button. Because her belly button was always exposed then, and I thought she (laughs) needed to protect it. I mean, I've never seen a tumbleweed go through an office before. (laughs) But that, I mean, it felt like a tumbleweed went
2: right across the writer's room table and a cricket riding it. So that's Zach
3: Galifianakis. Who Galifianakis.
2: Uh, who is hilarious and has been very successful, but was a writer for like two weeks for Saturday Night Live. As we were talking yesterday about the variety of people that have come through there and failed, who went on to have very, very successful careers.
3: Um He is such an interesting guy.
2: When he hosted, it's been probably ten years ago that he hosted, that was one of the funniest episodes ever.
3: His stand-up? Yeah. makes me belly yeah. laugh yeah. when I'm alone. He and that's is- not something that normally happens. If, if I may butcher one of his uh, classics, went down to the, the Hollywood uh, the Walk of Fame, found Tony Danza's star, began urinating on it, screaming, Who's the boss now? <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know why that's funny. It makes me laugh every time. Because well, it's such an odd thing to do, I think. <laughs> to be that angry at Tony Danza.
2: <laughs> <laughs> um, uh So yesterday we were doing a little, uh, you know, who who is on the Mount Rushmore of SNL, and mm-hmm. you know, I suppose if you're going to be fair, Eddie Murphy has to be on there. But like I, my my, my taste run more recent, and one of my my Mount Rushmore type people's Maya Rudolph, and she's the host tomorrow night. Oh, awesome! So I really look forward to that. Cause she is, she's one of those people just walks out and I immediately am chuckling before she even starts. But.
3: And she has a great ability to uh, dissolve into her characters, right? Like they, there isn't a, there was a sense of Will Ferrell in every character oh, Will yeah, Ferrell abs- did. Absolutely. <laughs> Maya Rudolph doesn't have that. She she is so good.
2: Uh, I don't think she does Whitney Houston anymore since she died, but got her Whitney Houston. Bobby! Bobby B! <laughs> was always so funny. <laughs> um, we're going to talk a little China coming up with uh, Josh Rogan. Uh, who I really like, columnist, but never got to this story today. I teased it for today. Various big brands that are going to have to make their decision. I think all kinds of companies, institutions are going to have to be making a decision in the coming, coming weeks, years, months, whether or not they get to do business with China. China cracking down on Nike and H&M for some past comments, and now they're boycotting Nike, and Nike's got to decide, well, are we going to, like, pretend that we don't have problems with slavery or are we going to double down on it in which case it might be over between nike and china you're going to see so much of this in the next year i think anyway we're going to be talking a lot more about that and other things on the way text four one five two nine five 295 kftc
0: armstrong and getty The Armstrong and Getty Show.
1: He spent hours upon hours speaking with Chinese President Xi Jinping. Doesn't have a democratic with a small d bone in his body, but he's a smart, smart guy. He's one of the guys like Putin who thinks that autocracy is the wave of the future. Democracy can't function in an ever ever complex world. Biden refused to answer specific questions on China policy, whether the U.S. will maintain tariffs on China or ban more imports of products made with forced labor. The president says China wants to become the wealthiest, most powerful country in the world, promised that won't happen on his watch, and framed relations with China as a global competition between autocracy and democracy. That's what's at stake here. we got to prove democracy works.
2: I appreciated him saying it that forthrightly. Uh, and I'm also excited that we're going to have Josh Rogan on with us on the Armstrong and Getty Show. Josh is a columnist for the Global Opinion section of the Washington Post, a political analyst with CNN, and also has this book that came out, Chaos Under Heaven, Trump, Xi, and the Battle for the 21st Century. On sale now wherever books are sold. Josh, welcome to the Armstrong and
4: Getty Show. Uh, great to be back. Thank you.
2: I am a nut for this China stuff. Like it's been my hobby for the last couple of years. Try I I, I was unaware of your book, and I guarantee you I will read it because um, I just I just. Well, is it overstating it to say this is the story of the world for the next century or more?
4: I don't no, think it is. I think that I, I think the China challenge is up there with like climate change. is the two things that will shape the world as we know it, and the two things that we have to get right because if we don't get those things right. Nothing else really matters. And, you know, that wasn't the wide held position for a long time. But after the covid pandemic, during the covid pandemic, it doesn't take much convincing because everyone in the world is affected by it. And everyone knows that the reason that they're sitting in their basement and they haven't seen their grandma for a year is in part due to the fact that the Chinese Communist Party uh, actions now affect our lives and affect our public health and our security and our prosperity and our freedom. And that's just the latest example, but that's not going to be the last example. So, you know, what happens in Beijing doesn't stay in Beijing. So we all have an interest in figuring this thing out and then coming together and mounting a response.
2: Well, I'm, I'm glad that everybody, you know, uh, Republican and Democrat, seems to be on board with understanding that our bet was wrong for, for 40 years that, you know, we yeah. let the, we let them grow enough and get rich enough, and, the, you know, we'll, we'll, they'll come around to uh, capitalism and, and freedom and our way of world. And uh, I don't think they had any intention of ever doing that. We now know that, and and everybody realizes, and Joe Biden's stating out loud, China is dead set on becoming the most powerful country in the world, and we're not going to let them. I, I'm happy to hear that.
4: Right. I think you put it perfectly. You know, we didn't know whether or not China was going to, Liberalized. And maybe they didn't know, but at least since 2013, when Xi Jinping came to power, it became increasingly obvious that they were going to go another way. And what Chi- what Xi Jinping and the Chinese Communist Party want is they want to have all the benefits of uh, our system without any of the responsibilities. In other words, they want the parts of capitalism that allow their companies to succeed, but they don't want to live up to the basic norms of you know, fair trade and human rights and all those other things that make that system possible. And we didn't have any idea what to do about that. And, you know, the Trump administration, crazy and chaotic as it was, they took a stab at it at least and they changed the conversation in a way that they can't that can't be undone. But because the Trump administration was so dysfunctional and messy, uh, they didn't do it all all, all, all that well at many points. And now that's what the Biden administration has a chance to fix. And we don't know how they're going to fix it because they don't know how they're going to fix it. But they're going to they're trying to come up with that now.
2: This battle between the United States and China has so many of the similarities of the Cold War between us and the Soviet Union, but so many things that are completely different. For instance, Hollywood's biggest market was never the Soviet Union. You know, if you wanted to sell cigarettes or toys or whatever, or Nike shoes, you know, the, the Soviet Union wasn't where you're going to try to do it. I was looking at one of your tweets uh, from, uh, I think, not that long ago, where you tweeted out, If you refuse to be complicit in mass slave labor, the CCP will kill your business in China. And it reminded me of the story I came across yesterday that I was going to talk about today. H&M and Nike join brands facing boycotts over statements on, uh, Xinjiang cotton. Is that the way you pronounce that? That region?
0: Probably not. (laughs) Probably not. But
2: anyway, that's, uh, you know, the particular kind of cotton there. And that's the the region of uh, China where they got slave labor and everything else. And so now there's a boycott against Nike and others in, um, In China, and I just feel like that a time is coming swiftly where Hollywood's not going to be able to do business, Nike's not going to be able to do, maybe Apple. It's just the the time is going to be up soon, isn't it?
4: It it seems to be heading in that direction, and the way you said it is exactly right. This is not the Cold War. There are some similarities, but that analogy gets overused, and it's also used as a weapon to uh, attack anyone who wants to rise. To confront the Chinese government's bad behavior, they'll say, oh, what do you want another Cold War? What are you crazy? But, you know, we forget about the term Cold War. That's just a bumper sticker. What we're facing is a systems battle, a competition uh, that we have to engage in and hopefully win. And that's, you know, that's not a, a leading towards a conflict. That's trying to avoid a conflict by addressing the problem before it becomes a conflict. Now, when the NBA got... You punished for 400 million dollars for one tweet from one guy about hong kong a lot of people around the country were like oh my god we got a problem here it seems that the chinese communist party at this point is putting its political interests and the party's interests above not only you know free commerce but even china's interests right because you know that when they uh, lash out of american companies they hurt their ability to attract investment and they hurt the American companies. They put everybody in a bad situation. And the only reason that they're doing it is because they're defending the party's practice of genocide, okay? And, you know, for a long time, Wall Street firms, H&M, and Nike, they looked the other way. Hollywood, Disney made a film in Xinjiang. And, and, uh, I just pronounced it incorrectly, too, by the way. And they said, <laughs> The public, I don't know how to pronounce it, not the point. The point is, they thanked the Public Security Bureau in the credits. They thanked the people who were manning the concentration camp walls. And all of a sudden, Americans are coming around to this realization that, oh, wait, I don't want to watch a movie that was uh, made with the help of genocide perpetrators. Oh, wait, I don't want to take the cotton that slaves picked and put it on my body, because that's not cool, it's not good. So, you know, that awakening is, Taken a long time to come to fruition, but just shows you how bad the atrocities have gotten and how, uh, like you know, determined the Chinese Communist Party is to make sure that they punish anyone who dares to speak up about it.
2: We're talking with Josh Rogan. He's a columnist for the Global Opinion section of the Washington Post, political analyst with CNN. I'll mention the name of his book again toward the end because I'm absolutely going to read it. Like I said, I've become a kind of a nut on this whole China thing. I'm really rooting for nomad land to win either Best Picture or Best Director at the Oscars. Because that woman, and I don't have her name at the tip of my tongue, uh, who directed that... Chloe Zhao, I believe? Yeah, she's got some statements that angered China. And if she goes up there and receives that award and doubles down on criticizing China, I think China will cut ties with Hollywood or say some really ma- nasty things. In that, And Hollywood will have no option but to cut their ties with china and i think that could be a a really big moment not just for you know hollywood and movies but for the world i think that's really going to draw a lot of attention
4: yeah no i listen i think that the problem in hollywood is that for 15 20 years they've been kowtowing to the chinese communist party line most of the big studios for a very understandable and obvious reason is that that's where their money is that's where their market is that they but you know Again, at some point, they have to balance that against the cost to their U.S. business and their reputational costs and the human costs that they're contributing to. And that balance is still on the Chinese side. And, you know, we can every every time we stand against that is a, a good thing. But make no mistake, you know, Wall Street, Silicon Valley and Hollywood. They're still making the calculation that the their, their best bet is to go along, to get along with the Chinese Communist Party. Uh, that hasn't changed, and that will only change when regular Americans vote with their feet and vote with their pocketbooks. And they say to these companies, hey, listen, uh, you know, if you're going to make a movie with uh, the people who are manning the concentration camps, we're not going to watch that movie. Or, hey, Nike, if you're going to have, uh, you know, slave." Uyghur slave laborers uh, pick the cotton that goes into these shoes. We're not going to buy those shoes. And what's going to happen with the Olympics? Are we just going to go to the Olympics? Oh, it and seems
2: It seems insane to me that there would be an Olympics and you'll have uh, you know, U.S. athletes walking around that track and there's Vice President Harris in the stands cheering on the, that That just that can't happen, can it?
4: I think that's exactly what's about to happen. Now, you know, the, the, uh, the, we got some time between now and then, but you, but as, as much as uh, there is more discussion about China and more discussion about the CCP and its mis- bad actions than there ever was before, and again, that's because of the pandemic, because every human in every country saw what it was like when you have the Chinese Communist Party-led order, when they had – the most science and the most data and the most masks. And what did they do with that power? They blackmailed the world to shut up about their handling of the coronavirus. And they hid the data, which made our responses worse. And then they lied to the President of the United States. In the book, there's a story about Xi Jinping lying to President Trump about the coronavirus, saying it would go away in warm weather and it would go away when the, and if you used herbal medicine and they had it under control. And all of these lies fed into the president's head and they came out in our policy. And exacerbating the suffering of Americans, millions of people, and so that's uh, again a, a big step. But right now, I got to tell you, if you if you just look at what's going on in the business world, and you look at what's going on in Congress, they're not there yet, okay? And 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 that's what you're going to see. You're going to see a lot of Americans and a lot of American companies, you know, making that calculation of, uh, you know, should I go to the Olympics or should I stand with the Uyghurs? And they're going to choose the former, not the latter
2: you've seen how far the poll numbers have tanked though in a pretty short period of time in terms of americans opinions of china whether they're a friend or an enemy sure. or where they rank i mean it's it's pretty dramatic
4: yes and that is i think driving a lot of what the biden administration is doing because they can read the polls too now uh you know the, the that doesn't mean that in congress they're actually getting anything done because the dysfunction in our system and the dysfunction in our Congress and in our government, has it, it's not actually fixed. So you know, it's 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 common for people to look at those poll numbers and to say, oh well, you know, you China hawks and the Trump administration guys, and you know, you're ramping up the Cold War through city trap, blah blah blah, and now everyone's against China. But the truth of the matter is that people are reacting to the Chinese government and the Chinese Communist Party's actions, and it's not really about the U.S. versus China. It's about how China is acting around the world. And if you think about it that way, you realize, well, okay, actually the thing that we really have to do is to depoliticize the China issue. We have to get away from anything that gets anywhere near racist or hateful language. We have to make sure not to target Asians and Asian Americans because they are actually our allies of this fight, not our enemies. Mm -hmm. And then if we can do that and then we can fix our own government, then we could probably win this competition based because our system, which is based on, the values of human rights and, and rule of law and freedom and freedom of religion. Those are actually the way if you know, people want to live. That's the way people ought to treat each other. That's the, what our basic society is built on, the rights of individuals. Uh, that's a better model, but it's only a better model if it works.
2: The book, and I absolutely i am not just saying this. We'll read this because I'm, I'm grabbing everything I can on China for the last couple of years. Chaos Under Heaven, Trump, Xi, and the Battle for the 21st Century it's on sale uh, as we speak Josh Rogan I one final question do you foresee in the next year five years it won't be a year but five years ten years where we have such a bipolar world where these big companies you you either do business in China or the United States you're you're a a, a foreign country you're either in part of China's orbit or the United States orbit you really can't do both do you think that's where we're headed
4: Right. There's an essential interconnectedness between the United States and China that will never go away, nor should it, you know, and that's another big difference between this and the the Cold War with the Soviet Union is that they're going to be the Economy in the world. That's not going to be something that we can stop. It's not something that we should try to stop. What we have to try to do is create a, 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 a shape China's rise in a way that doesn't result in our, our us getting sick in us having uh, sacrifices in our security and in our, and that we can still tweet about whatever we want. So the the the, the answer to your question is that's partially mainly up to the Chinese government. But what we have to do is we have to clarify this choice for them. And that means raising the pressure on them to put them to a decision to say that, hey, listen, if you want to participate in the benefits of our half of the world, then you're going to have to stop committing genocide and stop stealing your intellectual property and, all of, and stop you know, punishing companies for things that people tweet. Or if you go the other way, we're going to impose a cost on you. So I think that's a, a call for addressing the problem before that happens, before we have some sort of conflict or some sort of bifurcated world, because that's not a good outcome. Uh, but it's going to take uh, the Chinese government and the Chinese Communist Party changing its behavior also to avoid that outcome.
2: Well, I took a lot of your time, I realize, but I appreciate it. It's a topic I'm super hot for, and I will read your book, and maybe we'll talk again. Josh Rogan, thanks for your time today. Thank you. we got to take a break. Text line 415-295-KFTC.
0: The Armstrong and Getty
2: Show. I have two very important entertainment-related questions for Sean before we run out of time here. One: Is there a new episode of Falcon and Winter Soldier? Winter Soldier tonight?
3: There is. There is. It's actually already uh, already popped. It'll be there when you get home.
2: Fantastic! So my son will be very excited about that. That'll be episode two. Hoping for a little more action. In episode two, there was a lot of table setting background.
3: We need to remember who we are with comic book things. We need more punching. So I need some
2: serious punching in tonight's episode. Also, King Kong versus Godzilla. When does that hit? Oh, very, my TV
3: screen very soon. Let me uh, let me because I thought it was the
2: out. end of March and we're about there. My kids are so damned excited about that. You know why? Because God, because King Kong is standing on an aircraft carrier. And punches Godzilla, where, Sean? Right in the face. (laughs) His stupid dragon face. (laughs) But uh, I know that's hitting real soon because I saw an ad up on the TV. Uh, March 31st. Okay, now that is available on streaming and the
3: theater, I believe. Uh, Yeah, it's doing a a dual release. I believe it might even be available in theaters right now. But on the uh, the HBO Max streaming service, I uh, I believe it uh, drops the 31st.
2: It might be too intense for my youngest, or so probably not going to do the theater. If it was just me and my and Sam, we would go to the theater and see but if it. But if it ends up too intense, because you know, as you know, Kong bows to no one. He doesn't. So there's that.
4: Hey kids, it's that time again. Final thoughts with Armstrong and Getty. <laughs> Here's your hosts for final thoughts,
2: me. Hi. Uh, let's get a final thought from technical director, Michelangelo. Uh,
4: yeah, just thinking about push-ups and heart health. I think I could do 11 push-ups, but I'm glad it's push-ups, not pull-ups. Oh, because no. if it was on. pull-ups, I'd be dead no, by like tomorrow. I, I
2: wouldn't even attempt that. And I could train the rest of my life and never do 11. Uh, let's get a final thought from Positive Show.
3: Author of Lonesome Dove, Larry McMurty, passed away. Uh, I've seen the miniseries. I love it. I've never read the book. I'm going to do that.
2: Yeah, the book is fantastic. And, uh, you know, it has even more richness and depth than the TV series did. And it was among the greatest things ever made. And what is my final thought? Uh, Maybe I'll just fill in this gap in case you don't know what we're talking about. There's uh, one of your health organizations. It looks like a fairly legit study, but who knows, um, of heart health, heart disease, if you can do 10 push-ups in a row, it cuts your chances of heart disease by quite a bit. But if you can do 11, it goes down another two-thirds from there. There's a huge difference between someone who can do 11 push-ups in a row and 10 push-ups in a row, according to this study. So drop and give me 11. I did 11 earlier. I think I could have done 12. But I did 11, which is really only that's necessary. Um, I don't know. I wouldn't, I wouldn't. I wouldn't claim it was easy. It's not supposed to be easy, Jack. Some more fried chicken and laying around on the couch, as long as I can still do eleven push-ups, so it's the way I look at it. That's the threshold. My brother, who uh, was in the military for a long time and part of staying in the military until you're 50 like he did, um, is uh, you gotta do push-ups on a regular basis. He's he, he's a big believer. The only thing you can do, the only exercise you can do to train to do more push-ups is push ups. Yeah. Lifting weights or nothing else seems to like do the same way. Just push ups. Armstrong and Getty wrapping up another grueling four-hour workday. So many people to thank that make all this happen. And so much cool stuff at our website, armstrongandgetty.com. A lot of the stuff we talked about today. Did you see that ski jumper crash? That's gruesome. Anyway, stuff you can buy. We'll see you on Monday.
4: God bless America. Listen up, Jack Wagon. What are you doing? Worst Episode ever. Back, Have you considered being good at your job? I'm done with
1: this. No, no, no. sorry I'm rubber and you're glue. Bad names bounce off me and stick to you.
0: Yeah,
2: that's <laughs> <laughs> no. yeah, just complete, utter nonsense. You
0: dare to dance in the path of greatness. It was
4: epic. And
1: that's it. Oh, Words. But folks, I'm going. Thank you very, very much. I appreciate it. Thank you. <laughs> On that high note,
4: thank you all very much.
0: Armstrong and Getty.